Hello, hello everyone. My name is Dr. Vanessa Dunn-Guyton. Happy New Year. I am so happy to be back with you again to start Hush No More Champions. I am the proud executive director of Hush No More. We support survivors of the Hush Topics when they're ready to come forward and share their story, get support, get resources. And we also provide training on the Hush Topics around the country. Hush Topics are those things that people do not talk about in their communities, within their families, from sexual assault, domestic violence, sex trafficking, child sexual abuse, incest, all those things that are very difficult conversations, but that we need to have. And so tonight we are going to have Anna Nassett here with us tonight. I am so excited. She is with Stand Up Resources. She's a stalking expert. She is an advocate. I love to say survivor advocates. And so welcome, Anna, tonight. Um, Thank you so much, Vanessa. I, I was just like, I can't wait to talk to you so that <laughs> I can actually hear your story because I always say sometimes people are just crazy, right? You can't explain why people behavior is a certain way that it is. And I couldn't wait to just talk to you and hear a little bit about your story and know more about you. So what is this something that you want to tell us first about who is Anna? Uh, well, first, I'm going to correct you for a second. I pronounce it Anna, but that's okay. Anna. <laughs> well, you know, I'm from South Carolina. It's all right. Everyone well, does. I will <laughs> <laughs> um, real quickly. That's okay. So um, I'm thrilled to be here tonight. Um, yeah, I'm Anna Nasset and Vanessa and I know each other through the Difference Makers, which is a speakers team we're a part of. Um, and I have unfortunately become a stalking expert over the last um, several years after being a victim of stalking for the last nine and a half to 12 years, um, nine and a half years to my knowledge, but probably more like 12 or 13 years. And have really just chosen to ch turn my story into that of advocacy and awareness and education um, so that others may be able to see justice and safety from the crime of stalking um, like I have. So that's the quick version of it. Okay. Oh, you said nine to 12 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> That is a very a, long, time. long time. So how did it start? What started um, your stalker being attracted to you? What started that? How did it start? So I'll never really know what started him being attracted to me. I think one thing that's really important to remember is that majority of stalkers already know their victims. I'm very rare in the fact that he was a stranger to me, but really about 84% of stalkers already know their victims. So it's an intimate partner, a family member, a coworker, a friend, um, somebody who maybe asked you out on a date that you said no to. Um, but I unfortunately fall into that 18% where I didn't know the individual. Um, so in 2011, I owned an art gallery in the beautiful town of Port Townsend, Washington. Um, and was just living my life, living my dream. Thought like this was it. I'm gonna like crush the art world. And that was really what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and a man that I didn't know approached my business one evening at the end of November, 2011, and really just simply gave me the gift of a painting. And he inquired that he wanted to show artwork at my gallery. Nothing out of the normal with that, um, but 
quickly he started sending me all of these messages through like email and Facebook. And he sent me a portfolio of one of his images for his, for my gallery. And I rejected it. It just wasn't anything I was into. Um, but he just quickly turned his language around and started commenting on my appearance and making um, comments about seeing me different places where I wasn't seeing him. And just everything started to really add up to me of like, something's not right here. Um, and luckily for me, I lived in a small community. And I mean, I think a lot of it is also attributed to the fact that I, you know, was known in the business community. I was a young female business owner. And so when I went to law enforcement, I was taken seriously and they built case after case over the years. Um, but ultimately it took us until last year, 2019, we went to trial um, and he was convicted of aggravated felony stalking and er, and felony cyber stalking mm -hmm. and sentenced to 10 years in prison, which is one of the longest sentences, if not the longest sentences first in our country's history. Um, but during that trial experience, also quickly realized that he'd probably been watching about 2008 or 2009. So that's eerie. So you have no no idea. He never said what made him want to be closer to you. No. And I mean, I think like, you know, one of the things with stalking and the route that I luckily chose was that I've never responded to any of his correspondence. I've never asked the why. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of times in these cases, if it is a stranger specifically, we're never going to know the why. Um, it's something that, you know, of course I would be curious, but I need to ask him or find out and just kind of have to kind of have to live with that, um, unknown, um, as to why this started. Um, and I'm not his only victim. I always like to mention that, that there are, um, another woman who he stalked um, as long as me or maybe a little bit longer. And then two other women that he began stalking um, as he was in the criminal justice system in the last five years. Wow. So how did you realize now he's a stalker? Because at first he was trying to be a client, a customer. When did you realize there's a problem? I think when he started to write to me about seeing me at different various places. He'd write me like some meandering note and talk about my appearance and then say, it was nice to see you today. And I'm like, I never saw him today. I never saw him yesterday. I never saw him the day before that. Where is this guy seeing me at? And so that was really <clears throat> something that started to really unnerve me um, was when he would talk about seeing me places is when I went, there's something wrong here. But even after like I went to law enforcement and they confirmed that there was something wrong, um, it took a long time before I think I even really accepted that term of stalking. I remember one time I was watching, um, I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, so go pack to anybody watching right now. But I would always watch football with a group of friends um, kind of on the outskirts of town. And so we were at the same house every single Sunday, every single Sunday. And one Sunday we were sitting there and I looked out the window and there was the offender, the man who stalks me. And this was early on into it. And I just was like, well, that's the guy that he's watching me. He's following me. Like, I don't know that he's stalking me. Like, that's such a harsh term. I, I don't know. I just don't know. And it took me a long time to kind of come into acceptance 
with that term um, and with some of these other terms. I mean, I think like anything like this, we didn't ask for this in our lives. It didn't matter if I dated him or not. I mean, in this case, I didn't, but like, it doesn't matter what I've done in my life. I didn't ask for this crime to be done to me. And so therefore, I think a lot of times for those of us who are victims of crime, it takes a long time for us to to be able to take on that term and go, oh, yeah, I, I am a victim of this. I am a survivor of this. I am having this done to me um, can take a lot of acceptance. I think we question ourselves. We want to give people the benefit of doubt. Like, I know that they're not hitting on me. I know that they're they're not really creepy. This couldn't be happening. So. I think it's important that you share that you did that, that you kind of justified his actions and you didn't believe it because yeah. you don't believe that people will be stalking you. So I think that's important that you bring that out because people are doing that now saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to ignore them and blow them off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think within stalking, we really, you know, one, it's used as a term that's like it, we just joke around about the term. Like, oh, I saw you two times and one day you must be stalking me. Or, oh, I'm stalking him on Instagram. Like, you know, we use these terms a lot and they're not romantic. It's actually a crime. And so I think when we start to tease out that, that joking or that, you know, kind of like diminishing of what it is and look at it for the fact that it actually is a crime and that you know, especially if it comes from, especially if somebody, you know, is stalking you and, you know, you're telling them, no, they need to respect that. No, and move on with their lives. And, you know, so often that's people aren't respecting that boundary. They're not respecting that. No, they're not moving on with their life. And that's where the problem really comes in. When they can't move on. Yeah. So when you went to the police, right, you said they believed you. What things were in place to protect you? I mean, initially nothing, <laughs> you know, within stalking or within a, so many different crimes, like, you know, especially within stalking, you become your own investigator. You become your own biggest advocate because it's not a crime where there's a finite start and finish. You know, it's not a burglary. It's not an attack. It's a long term and it's many finite things. Um, like I'd love to share just like the Department of Justice's definition of stalking because I think it's important. Um, and it is engaging in a course of conduct directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person fear for his or her safety or the safety of others or suffer substantial emotional distress. So what that means is like, you know, I'm a reasonable person. And right. so if there's somebody that's doing a course of action that is causing me fear for my safety, the safety of others, or my mental health, that's stalking. Well, that can be a lot of different things. Because for me, you know, initially it's just this guy gave me the gift of a painting. Anybody else could say, oh, that's really nice. This person gave you a present. Well, no, it wasn't nice. And then, you know, it's a series of messages. These things alone don't add up to be a crime. But when you start to connect them and connect the intent and realize that it's putting me as a reasonable person in fear for my safety, that's when we have a crime. But when you go to the police station, 
And a lot of police stations, you know, one of the things I do is really try and educate law enforcement because most of them don't know how to handle stalking. So they will immediately just turn you away and say, like, we don't know what to do for you. And so luckily my police station did not do that. Um, and, you know, they taught me how to do things like I had to keep a safe a log of every time the offender contacted me. So if he sent me a message via Facebook Messenger, we weren't friends on there, but you could, you know, message request. I would take a screenshot of it, write down the time, document it, write everything down and just keep this log. Um, and a great place to find a log like this is at stalkingawareness.org, which is our federally funding stalking organization. Um, so I started doing that. And then I would take those in and file my reports. If there were people that saw him outside of my gallery, they'd let me know. I just, you had to start to collect your own evidence because otherwise there couldn't be a case to be built. Um, along with that, like my officer, Officer Corrigan, who was become a longtime friend of mine at this point, you know, he suggested things like safety planning. So figuring out exit strategies, parking your car in different places, I would have someone escort me to my car or I would pretend to be on the phone, different things like that, that you could kind of put in place to keep yourself safer in case if this person did come and attack you. Um, and he also encouraged, you know, self-defense. So I took a self-defense course and, and would and continue to do that as the years went on and do some more um, in-depth self-defense work. But you know, initially it really does come to like you building your own case and continuing to take that evidence to the police and hoping that they're going to do something with it. So you don't, do you recommend blocking them or no? Yes, absolutely. Um, I do, I do absolutely recommend blocking somebody and I blocked him many times, but the thing with blocking is especially this day and age, you can just start another account. You can just start up on another device. Um, you know, I was working with a friend who's going through this and, you know, as soon as they got their protection order, the person started sending them messages through like through websites that were scrambling the phone number. Like there's so many ways that people can continue to get a hold of you. And so I really recommend, you know, block that person certainly but also like when you're starting to get those things come in, keep screenshotting, keep um, taking in, you know, the information, even if you don't think it can be tracked back to that stalker, keep documenting it because police can go in there and do IP searches. They can do all sorts of things to trace it back. So I think it's important that you block it for your own safety, but know what your course of action is if the, if it continues. That's great advice because we never think that we're the one that have to keep the evidence. Like you have to prove that this case, that this is happening to you because nobody's going to investigate it for you. Yeah. And so that's important because sometimes we just ignore it, blow it off, delete the message. So what you're saying is never delete the messages. We need to screenshot the messages, keep all of them and yep. be able to prove it. Okay. Yep. And especially if you're going to block somebody, just screenshot everything, throw it in a file on your computer just have it. I mean, you might not ever need it. They might leave you alone. Hope they do. But just in case, it's really good to have those things just in case. Just in case. Okay. Yeah. So and there's something I think that's like, 
especially in a crime like stalking where everything's being stripped away from you, like your safety and everything, like any little job I had to do kind of in a way felt like it was a slightly empowering to me. I was like, okay, I can do this thing. This is all I can do. Everything else is out of my control, but I can document this and send it to the police. So when you were fearful, so did you think that he was just going to grab you one day or what did your fear feel like? Ooh, <laughs> that's gone to a lot of different dark places over the years. I mean, it's really dependent upon the things that he's written to me. He's definitely written different ways in which I should be killed and die. And so those definitely fueled a lot of my nightmares. Um, was definitely terrified of him breaking in. Um, I My gallery was a very public place and I used to have big gallery walks. And so there was always a fear um, of potentially a larger crime, such as like a mass shooting or something like that that could take place. And so I think all of those things were in the back of my mind. Um, and yeah, just did whatever I could, got a really good therapist, have really good friends, um, amazing family. Hello, mother, if you're watching right now. Um, shout out to Mama Nasset, who would sit up with me on the phone all hours of the night when I was freaking out. Um, just tried to, I feel really, really fortunate for the little community and support that I had around me. Yeah. Um, I kept it kind of out of the larger community of my town because um, I didn't want all the questions. I kept it very, very hidden, all of this, until basically I became a public speaker two years ago. Um, but yeah, so yes, and the worst of my fears, like every fear would come to be. And I, I think that probably his other victims would echo that. I think that the police action over all of these years has really stayed a step ahead of him doing any larger violent action where we wouldn't be here to speak today. So did they like ride by your gallery, by your house? Were the police active in that way or they really couldn't do anything? You know, I mean, they can't show preferential treatment, so it's not like they could run necessarily extra patrols, but they definitely were very, you know, they would notify me especially back in the day, he started writing letters and sending them to the police department and they would be very like graphic. Like because I had protection orders, I think he would do that because that was a way to try and reach me and this other victim as well. And yeah, so they would notify me back in the day, but then I basically was like, I don't need to know about this. Like I know it still happens. It probably still happens to this day. I don't need to know about it. Um, so I felt like, for me, I felt like they were really, more of I think they were very aware and within that I felt support and protected. But like I said, they can't show you preferential treatment. So it was ultimately kind of up to me to figure out my own safety plan and um, move forward the best I could. But there was definitely a couple of times where they're like, we don't think you should stay at your apartment tonight. You need to go stay with a friend. Um, and, you know, encouraged me in those ways as well. And so I've had people say that when they went to the police, they felt like they didn't get the help that they needed, but it was because they didn't have the evidence either. So it was like they really did have to build that case in order to get the support that they needed for the, for the police to be able to do anything. 
Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with that, but I also think that like a law enforcement is not trained on how to deal with stalking. Um, if I had dated the offender and gone in there, would I have gotten the same response? Probably not. Okay. If I had not been, you know, a young white female business owner in our community going in there saying a stranger stalked me, would I have gotten the same response? I don't know. Um, and so I think that there is, you know, bias into that. And we can also put that, like, I just had the right situation to be able to get assistance. And I don't think that's always the case. Um, you know, here I live in Vermont and we live in a very, very safe state. And so we have very, very little crime. And in 2017, I believe it was. Yeah. 2017. Um, the very few murders we had here, two of them happened in Burlington, Vermont, and two different cases, but both were women of color, both were English as a second language, both went in and reported stalking to law enforcement by their prior partners, both were sent away without any resources or help or believability, and both were murdered. So I think that's where we have to really look at like, keep educating and giving our law enforcement resources because that is what happens in the end is it's not that it stops, especially when it's from an intimate partner, it ends in murder. And, and so that's where we need to start to really take these things seriously. And part of why I do what I do is it's like, I might have the exception of this exceptional sentence and I've had that believability and I've had that everything happen right, but that needs to be happening for everyone. So, yeah. And I don't think people realize how serious stalking is. We don't really talk about it. It's definitely a hush topic. We don't talk about it enough, but they don't realize that it could lead to murder. Period. Yes. It could lead yep. to murder. It could lead to sexual assault, you know, that just different levels of abuse. And so it's a real, a real sensitive topic that people don't really talk about. Like you mm -hmm. said, you didn't have a lot of people. You kept it kind of quiet within your your close family circle. So we don't really share about what's going on and telling people that stalking is real. I, I've had a stalker. And so mm -hmm. I'm glad that you're able to share that now. And do you feel more empowered or more free that he's in jail? How do you feel that he's? Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. To be very honest. I mean, like, I think that like, I will probably forever deal with the long-term trauma of it. Like, you know, we don't go through these things and end up on the other side, all sunshine and roses. I mean, even with having the, you know, the biggest sentence possible, like I should have been, you know, dancing on the ceiling for the rest of my life. And I was not, um, you know, it was really challenging to even just like process having the good result. I can't imagine having the bad results, but um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I call this my decade of freedom. Um, he was sentenced to a day. I actually said that in my victim impact statement. I said to the judge, I was like, you know what you are sentencing him today. You're also sentencing me and you're sentencing the others. So please sentence me to a decade of freedom. Like I, I, I want that. I need a decade of freedom. So yeah, I definitely feel freer, but you know, I'm forever different from the entire situation and definitely deal with, you know, the long-term traumas of 
you know, PTSD and anxiety and depression. And I mean, I'm kind of the quarantine queen because I'm totally fine staying in my house all the time. Like when the pandemic started, it was like, oh, y'all are scared of something that's absolutely invisible out there that's going to harm you. Yeah, I'm pretty used to that. Like, I got this one. Um, and, you know, I don't want, mean to make light of that at all, but it just felt very normal to me. It was like, oh, this is a very normal feeling for me. And yeah, so I'm extremely happy and love my freedom and love getting to, you know, pre-pandemic and then through our virtual world speak all over, but um, it's not without its long-term devastating effects. Have you ever heard people say, well, it's not like he raped you. He didn't touch you. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to when somebody says that? Because obviously it's, it's really a traumatic experience, but I think sometimes people in our society kind of downplay things and be like, Oh, you know, you weren't raped. You know, it wasn't like it was sexual assault. So how do you respond to that? Um, you know, I mean, as somebody who has been sexually assaulted in her past as well, I can compare and contrast the two. And so that's generally something that I'm pretty open about. And I think for me, like, and this is just my own experience um, of being able to compare the two. With a sexual assault, there was a start and a finish. And I was able to, okay, that happened um, because it wasn't by a partner of mine. And I began to move forward and be able, began to heal from it. With something like stalking, even though this man is in prison for 10 years, do you think that means he's going to be done when he gets out of prison? No. Like this is an ongoing crime. You're always living in it. And so even though I have freedom right now, it doesn't mean that it's over and I can fully heal because nine years from now, what's going to happen? I don't know. And so there seems to be like, you know, I think we, we talk a lot about the terms of victims and survivor and giving people the agency to choose that within the term, within stalking, I often will refer to myself as a victim. I have survived it, but I'm still a victim of it. And so that's one of those where I really raise that distinction of, you know, this can be just as harmful. And, you know, so often when we look at like our advocacy centers, you know, they'll say sexual assault, domestic violence, advocacy center. And now I'm starting to see more add that term stalking because they are recognizing that it, one, it is intrinsically tied many times into sexual assault and domestic violence, but it is also a standalone crime that does just as much damage and just as much violating because it's really, it's violating your mind. It's violating your psyche. Um, it, it just, it takes you down on just an incredibly devastating level. Yeah, and uh, that silent trauma. I, I I can see what you're saying about there was a start and an end, right? You feel like there's no end to this yet, even though he's in jail. You don't know if he's going to start. And I don't even know when he started. I mean, that's like there's literally I have no idea when it started, other than sometime between 2008, maybe 2007, maybe 2009. So it's just really teased out in this way that, I mean, it's just such a psychologically devastating crime. And, and then when it's a silent crime, the other tolls that it takes on our body is really, really significant. And, you know, 
I'm glad that you brought it up because people struggle with understanding the trauma, the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression. I could hear people saying, well, when he went to jail, you should be all right. Just get over it. He's gone. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that simple. I actually, I'm so grateful to when I, before I went to trial out in Washington, I worked with an advocate here in Vermont at our attorney general's office, Amy Farr. Amazing. And one of the things she said to me before I went to trial, she's like, no matter what happens. And she said this to me again before sentencing. She's like, no matter what happens, no matter if you get the greatest results, you are going to have a fallout and it's going to be harsh. I was like, Amy, what are you talking about? I'm going to be so fine. But no, like there still is such a devastation because you also have to go through the arduous journey to get there. I mean, I had to sit and testify for eight hours. In the end, the offender actually represented himself. So he got to cross-examine me and talk to me directly. Like you don't come out of that without needing to do some serious processing and grieving and working and grieving for all the years that were lost, grieving for the business that I closed because of this, grieving for moving across the country because of all of this. Like there's so much grief tied in there. Um, And now I feel like I'm in a different place where I still have my days. I still get triggered. Like, at the weirdest triggers. I mean, I think a lot of us do. We're like, why? What the heck? Where did that come in from? <laughs> like, I was baking Christmas cookies and I was like, whoa, wasn't expecting that trigger to come in. This is my happy place. <laughs> like, you just get out the door. I, I can relate. I can relate what I'm saying. When did that trigger? Like, I thought I was good. I was good today. I woke up fine and it's like, bam, and it hits you. You just like, okay. This happened today, tomorrow, I can't let it affect me. I got to start new tomorrow. But I'm, I'm just saying, hey, wh- why am I triggered? You know? Yeah, and like, where did that even come from? I'm like trying to connect the dots. I'm like, how did my brain go here? When I was over here listening to Christmas tunes, mixing up my batter, like, I don't even get it. Um, but I think like, I'm at this place and I'm not a very like, how do I say? I'm not a very, I'm, I'm pretty like practically grounded, like, in my language and my beliefs and a lot of things, but I've come into this term and I don't love it yet, but it keeps resonating with me as I like, I'm at this place where I'm kind of finding this like joyful resilience where like there's this kind of acceptance of all the various traumas that have happened within my life from a young age. And then, you know, the most significant one being this stuff, but like I'm here, I'm here and I'm, doing something with it. And I've been given this gift of this decade of freedom. And I, you know, what am I going to do with it? And there's a lot of joy that comes kind of flipping the script or flipping the narrative on from living in the shadows to really emerging and being like, you tried to take everything, but I got this. I'm still standing and I'm here. Mm -hmm. That's Hence the name Stand Up Resources. Stand Up Resources. So going into Stand Up Resources, based on the experiences that you had, what made you start an organization? Well, I moved here to Vermont four years ago, a little over four years ago, and 
really was kind of at a loss as to what I wanted to do. Um, and shortly after moving here, the offender started messaging me again. And still to this day, don't know how he figured out where I live, but he's like, I'm going to come to Waitsfield, Waitsfield, Vermont to be with you. And like, I had no address listed. I, you know, I, if I could ask him two questions, it would be why me and how did you figure out where I lived? I'll never know the answers. But as my case started get building up again, and this was 2016, you know, I'm getting all these calls from Washington state, from like law enforcement, from prosecuting attorneys, advocates, victim witness coordinators. And I'm like, these people are all just like doing their job for me. And I live 2,500 miles away. Like they're, they're still going to fight for me. Like, I don't understand this. And I just kind of started to realize like how many people had worked to keep me safe over the years and to keep me alive and to protect me. And they were all just simply doing their job within the criminal justice system, within the victim service system. And at that point, like I'd already been going through this for so long. I was like, I kind of think I should be over there doing that work too. And it initially started as this kind of like way to be able to give back. I also do graphic design and marketing. And so initially what I thought was I would start this business and do development for, you know, advocacy centers, places like that, maybe some website design, graphic design. And at the same time, I was attending the Vermont Victims Assistance Academy, which is this wonderful advocacy training. And I met with the um, educational coordinator, a woman named Andrea, and just said, you know, how do I fit into this world? And she's like, I do think you should start a business doing this, but why do you want to do this work? And I shared a little bit about my story and she was the one that's like, I really think you should consider speaking. And I sat on one little panel, was terrified. It's like two and a half years ago. And then got invited to go to Nova, which was like going from here to here really quickly. And it just kind of kept going from there. And I realized that, I'm really one of the only people that can tell this story in a way that can educate service providers. So that's what I want to do. So you want to educate service providers, you want to educate law enforcement, and that's where your resources come in. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's amazing how our journey leads us into another life, leads us into our purpose. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like this is your purpose. You always smile. You're always ready to speak. You're prepared. And <laughs> you're, you're, you're here. It's like you're at that place where God put me on this earth for this. And we don't even realize what our journey is to get mm -hmm. us to this point. So I think it's just magnificent. I, I love that you do this. And I was going on your website I'll check out her website. Check out her website. I put the link, but it's www. Anna. Anna. I got to get it right. Anna. A-N-A-N-A-S-S-E-T okay. <laughs> dot -S -S -E com. That's for my podcast listeners, but I'll make sure that I also put it in the podcast link as well and also in the comments and social media. But go to her website. Check her out. She comes to different organizations, different different events. She's a great speaker. I, I just love it. I love that you took the time to say, I'm going to create this organization and to try to raise awareness, prevent this from happening. That is priceless. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you're a bit like me where it's kind of like, well, what else am I supposed to do at this point? 
Like, cause you have so much joy in the work that you do. I was talking to a friend about you earlier, just like, you're always out there smiling and doing this. And like, you know, we didn't come by this work easily. There's just this point where it's like, what else am I going to do at this point? Like, let's just do this. Like, let's, let's switch the script and, and literally hush no more. Like use our voices. Use our voices. And I feel like you're taking your power back. When you created your organization, you took your power back from him. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I wonder, did he sit back and say, oh, she's doing this because of me <laughs> in his twisted mind? <laughs> I don't even know if he knows what I'm doing. I have no idea. Well, you're blowing up now. You're going to be international. So he's going to know what you're doing. Oh, I'm sure when he'll eventually find out. But I'm sure. <laughs> by that point, I may have moved my, like, changed my name and moved to Europe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> and then you're on Good Morning America. You had yes, I was Oh, he's going to know what you're doing. I'm <laughs> you. Yeah, well, the other fact is that, like, I also never say his name. So, right. I mean, that's kind of, like, my biggest thing is it's, like, you know, that's kind of my big, like, I might be doing this, but, like, you get nothing from me. You get nothing out of this. You get no fame. You get nothing. You don't even get a name. I love it. I, I love yeah. it. We have yeah. a question for you. Um, Rebecca wants to know what advice would you give a rape, assault, stalking, terrorism victim that reported the multiple crimes and the DA decided not to prosecute because the perpetrator was a police officer? Ooh, isn't that a lot? That is a tough one. Um, you know, I mean, I hear stories like this often and it's really hard to even know how to respond because you're getting so much into the nuances of the criminal justice system, which, you know, worked well for me, but as we know, has so many flaws. And, you know, one thing I always say to anybody is to make sure to go and get an advocate first, go to your local advocacy center and really have somebody who's going to be that ally to go in with you. Um, and unfortunately with this, like, I mean, as crappy as it is, they're going to keep listening to the police officer. And I hate that. And I mean, that's where like, I try and do the work I'm doing is that, so that we can start to shift that and really start by believing the people who are coming and reporting. Um, you know, you can always go to, if you're with district attorney, you can always go to the feds. That's always an ability to do is to go to, um, the federal agencies instead and file a report with them. You might be able to get some better, some better tra trajectory with that. Um, but once again, I'm always going to say start with an advocate and really have them walk you through the options in your specific state, in your specific area and help them have them help you really navigate what's going to be the best path to get some form of justice for you. I think that's great advice. And also but what you said about documenting, you have yeah. to have your own evidence. You have to keep the evidence and build that yeah. case and get somebody to hear you. I am one of those ones that I speak and I tell. So you could go on a podcast and share your story. You could try to get on the news media and share your story. You could try to just talk about it so people can hear what has happened to you and yeah. write a book about it, share your story. You could do a blog about it, but I'm pretty sure that there are a lot more people that are going through the same thing as you, because a lot of times you're not the only victim. 
They're exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we've been seeing more and more now is people outing the offenders through these various news outlets. Um, I guess there's a whole movement on TikTok about this, which I don't know how to tick or talk, but um, there's a whole movement around this because a lot of times you aren't the only victim. And so figuring out those strategic ways. Um, I was on a podcast and I do some other stuff with them called Strictly Stalking. And they've got a really amazing approach and will often take cases that have not been prosecuted and bring them to the public. And so they're another great outlet to reach out to as well. Um, but I always like really encourage anybody that's going to do that to make sure that you're safe. If you're going to make that public step, like your safety has to be really in there. And so I think that could be a great outlet as long as you know that you're going to be physically safe. That's a great point. Safety is important. That is a great mm -hmm. point. And then, you know, people are listening now more when we talk about police officers. Now, don't get me wrong. I love police officers. There are some great ones. I couldn't be a police because they put their life on the line every day. Like, I would be scared. Mm -hmm. um, so I commend the work that they do. But in every profession, there's always people that are not good. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that you're able to get some justice maybe not by the DA office, he may not ever go to jail, but I took my power back by sharing my story, by having a voice, by writing my book, by empowering other survivors that have been through something similar to me. And that's how I took my power back. I, I never reported my rapist. And uh, so he never went to jail because I didn't report it, but so I got my power back. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something to think about. What can you do to make you feel better? Yeah, I think you bring up the point of justice is that justice isn't necessarily a prison sentence. Justice can look different for so many different people. Um, I was interviewing somebody from the state patrol here in Vermont for my podcast. And and we, we were talking about that. And he's like, you know, often people will be like, you know, I'll have people come in and report a sexual assault from 30 years ago. And he's like, you know, initially, you know, early on when this was happening, we're like, well, why are they doing that? He's like, because they're looking for justice. They know it might not come in the form of, a, uh, you know, of a prison sentence, but just in being heard and believed, that's a way to get justice. So I think you're right. Like there's that way to take your power back and have justice so many different ways than necessarily the legal route. Because sometimes if we don't have our evidence and these different things, it might not be available to us. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, Rebecca said thank you for answering her question. It was great. Wonderful advice. So that's a good thing. And, and I hope it makes you feel better, Rebecca, because we do have to figure out a way for our own healing and how we can take control of our own narrative. That's important. That's <coughs> really important. Um, Rose said that this is awesome. So thank you, Rose. We have another question by Ashley. What were the key elements of safety planning that was most helpful to you? So with safety planning, you know, one thing that I think is that for me, like, especially because I was in such a place of trauma, I was like working through what are my worst nightmares? What are my worst nightmares? So for me, safety planning was like, all right, if he breaks into my house, that's my worst nightmare. How am I going to get out of this house? So it was kind of breaking down what's the worst that could happen and how would I move through that? 
And so that really helped me personally because then I knew I could get through it. Like there's something about that. But some of the things like I've done um, and to this day, I will always do, I always rent an apartment that has two exits so that I can easily get out of someplace. Um, I can't afford to buy a house, but I like to rent an apartment because I know that I have neighbors that could hear me, which is also something that feels good to me. Um, you know, ultimately I ended up getting a concealed carry permit, but I knew that if I carried a gun, I'd probably shoot my toes off. So I ended up working with a mixed martial arts expert who taught me how to knife fight. Um, so there was different things that like, I just really thought like, okay, what are the things that are important to me that are going to make me feel the safest? And I put those into action or just into thought. And, you know, I think with safety and planning, it's so individual for each person. Like if you have children, it's different. If you need to leave your home because you're in a violent situation, it's different. So really looking at the very basic steps of how you exit your situation one step at a time and just starting to work those through so that the time comes if you do need to flee a situation or if you are in an assault, you know how to move through it in the calmest manner that you possibly can because you know we're going to be filled with adrenaline and all of those things. So it's just ways to put into place how you can move through this and how you know your plan. So for you, was you more fearful, fearful in your own home or when you went out? Um, really, I think my own home, because I ended up not really going anywhere alone. Um, yeah, so it was like, you know, if I was going, I lived downtown in my little town at the time. So if I was going to a restaurant, someone would walk me there, someone would walk me home. Um, you know, I might walk alone. Well, no, I didn't really, other than like to walk the one block to my house or my apartment from my gallery, but that was about it. Um, so for me, it felt more fearful at home because even though I had my address hidden, it didn't really matter. It was a small town. He figured out where I lived. So yeah, so there I felt more like their business. I felt more fearful because I felt very much like kind of a sitting duck. And, and after I lost my gallery, I went to work for a large um, high-end lumber company as their marketing director. And when I picked my my desk, when I started there, it was all men that I worked in this big room with. And and they're like, well, where do you want to sit? And I was like, I want to sit in the back corner back there. And they're like, well, why? You should sit up front. I was like, oh, no, no, no. If, I, if I'm up front, everyone will think I'm the secretary. I'm not you all secretary. We're not doing that. But really, I wanted to sit in the far back because I could see all points of entry I could see the road coming in. I could see everything that was happening. Um, you know, just like a lot of soldiers are taught, like they always sit with their back to the wall. Like whenever I go out for like coffee with any of my friends who are in the military or law enforcement, we're always like jockeying for who, who gets the wall, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, so just little things like that. And I still do them to this day, like, yeah. Okay, so you're home. You had to think about your job anytime you went out. You know, in the military, you bring that up. We always have a battle buddy. We're not mm -hmm. supposed to go anywhere alone. And I think sometimes people take that for granted. I see a lot of people walking alone and at night and you have to be careful. You know, you just do. You have to protect yourself. And a lot of it is 
thinking about your safety from a common sense perspective, which is really hard because is it really common sense? Really common of how we think about safety. And do we ever get a class on safety? You know, so right. um, it's not even really common sense because we never are taught, you know, how to really protect ourselves and to do this. And so, Ashley, thank you for your question. Um, Anna, is there a place that a person could go to have a safety plan done if they are a stalking victim? Um, I'm going to go back to like your your advocacy center is going to be the best place. And law enforcement are really good with helping with it. I mean, like that can also be a good way when going into law enforcement to report stalking is if you know some of the language already. Like if you go on stalkingawareness.org, um, you know, you can learn a lot of facts. And for me, knowledge is power. Once I knew what was happening to me and I started to learn, it was like, OK, this makes more sense. But if you go into law enforcement and say, hey, I'm being stalked by my ex-partner, I need to make a report and I need you to help me how to safety plan. I'm guessing they might like listen a little bit different because you're coming in there with like, I need you to help do this. And it's giving them something that they know how to do. Yeah. And I live alone. Right. I live alone. And I'm always trying to figure out how to stay safe in my own home. Think about like, I just want to be real clear. Like we should be able to walk at night alone. We should be able to live alone just fine. Like these should not be things that like, you know, I mean, I think that's so much of why we're doing the work we're doing is so that, you know, we're not going to see the results in our lifetime, but we're going to keep doing it so that hopefully others won't have to worry about Am I safe in my home? How would I exit? All of these different things. Like that should not be, it just shouldn't be where we're at. Yeah. Part of my safety plan is Bear, my emotional support dog. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's part of it. And I, I'll tell anybody to get a pet, <laughs> get a pet. It makes you feel so much better. It gives you a sense of safety and they will bark. You know, when somebody is walking up to the door, they can hear way better than we can. And yep. so that's part of my safety plan. You know, that's part of my safety plan. And I, I have a gun, but I'm really, I'm like you, I'm really not big on firing it or even I've taken all type of training, but I really don't want to have to use a gun. You know, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. And I, I would never recommend that to anybody if they haven't had training. And I know you're a veteran as well. So you've had training, but I still don't feel comfortable. Yeah. In a state of emergency and of fear if I'm going to be able to properly handle the gun. And I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. And so there's other things that we do have to talk talk about for our safety. So that is a great question. So thank you so very much, Ashley. Yeah. And I would highly suggest like, you know, don't bring any weapons into your home unless if you've gone through training with them. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We actually provide twice a year CWP training, right? Oh, awesome. Um, some victims want a weapon. And they don't know how to use it or they want more information on it. And so we do provide that training. We also do self-defense training, but it's important to get that training. And especially when you see that it's free, attend. <laughs> it is priceless when you can get some free self-defense training and um, and get any information about your safety that you can. Because you never know when you need it. It could be for your family, your friends, your coworkers. You need this information. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're coming to an end. And I want to know, is there something that you wanted to make sure that you share with our audience from your experiences and what you want them to take away? 
I think just, you know, well, it's National Stocking Awareness Month. So one, please spread the message. Um, you know, really listen to the people who are around you who might be dealing with stocking. Look for the signs that there might be something going on for those around you. Um, you know, somebody who might be a coworker or friend who's, you know, feeling feeling suspicious of somebody or is just getting harassed by them. Like make sure to check in with people and really, you know, learn how to get support. Like you can go to my website. Like I said, stockingawareness.org is another great one. Um, definitely you can learn more about stocking from Strictly Stocking podcast. All of these are great resources, but just educate yourself and educate others and really, you know, continue to stand up for everyone in your life. And I mean, I think, you know, especially during these times when we're so isolated, um, I know that, you know, especially like digital stocking is just going rampant. So just really checking in with the people in your life and learn how you can support them. And thank you. Yeah, so I love it. Thank you for sharing your experiences and being so transparent. This is not easy to do to be able to, to share, right? And so I just want people to know that this is real. It's happening, right? And you look like everybody else. You're absolutely beautiful. You have a beautiful spirit, right? So I can see how somebody would say, oh, I want to be closer to you. <laughs> but it's so unhealthy the way that they did it. The way that he did it was so unhealthy. And so um, I, I look forward to you just having healthy relationships. I have two facts I want to say to you that I forgot to say earlier on. But um just to like hammer away how prevalent this is one in six women and one in 17 men will be stalked within their lifetime. So that's a lot of people. So roughly 6.6 .6 million people are stalked every year in the United States. So I think those are some really important numbers that like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what gender. It doesn't matter if you knew that person, if you didn't like, this is so prevalent. Um, yeah. One in six and one in 17. That is high. That is high. Yeah. 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 And you don't have to, and you could just be an ordinary person, not doing nothing to try to attract attention. Just supporting your life. Yeah. yeah. And people will attach themselves to you. So mm -hmm. I'm really thankful that you shared that. And I'm hoping that people will take it more seriously. And actually start protecting themselves and raising awareness about it because it is priceless. It is priceless. So thank yeah. you, Anna. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. So thank you all for joining us tonight, whether you're on the podcast, whether you're on social media with us. We are so thankful that you tuned in to learn some information that could save your life, could save a family or a friend life because stalking is real. Stalking is real. You heard it from Anna. She gave you some really good examples of some things that can happen, some signs, knowing that this person is stalking you. Also, some safety things that you could take into um, account in your own life and make sure that you're doing things to remain safe because we want you here with us. So, Anna Nassett, why can't I just get your name right? You got it. <laughs> I got Anna. <laughs> Thank you for being part Thank of Thank you so much. You know, that means a lot to us. Next week, we're going to have Jane Epstein. She is going to talk about child on child sexual abuse with us. And we don't think about that. It could be a brother or sister, two brothers. We never think about that part of child sexual abuse. So we're going to be talking about that next week on the 12th. And on the 19th, 
Suzanne Torres is going to join us and she's going to talk about child sexual abuse in the Hispanic um, community and a Hispanic family. So I'm excited to hear her perspective about that. And then the last Tuesday of the month, we're going to have Nicole Snell. And you know, Nicole, she's part of the DM 10 Strong. Yes. And she's part of Girls Fight Back. And she's going to talk to us about you can fight back. How do you fight back and how do you defend yourself, which all aligns and everything that we're talking about this month. And if you're in South Carolina, on the 30th of January, we're going to be at the State House because, as you know, this is Human Trafficking and Sex Trafficking Awareness Month, also Stalking Awareness Month. And we're going to be out raising awareness at the State House, trying to make noise, talking to different politicians, to people in our community. So if you're in South Carolina, please join us on the 30th and take the pledge on our Facebook page. There's a pledge where you could take it to raise awareness and to support survivors of human trafficking and sex trafficking because it is really a serious problem. And so we gotta work together and make a difference and raise the awareness because awareness plus knowledge equals prevention. And then finally, on Thursday, we have our therapy every Thursday at 7 p.m. So join us. Our therapy is not where you have to know how to paint and you can draw. I do not know how to paint or draw. It's that time to just get away from all the crazy crap that's going on in your life, all the drama that's in your life. You just want to have this quiet time to just sit down and think about how you can stay within the lines, how you're going to make the perfect stick figure or whatever topic we're talking about. And so join us um, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would love to have you with us because... We know that people go through some things and you just need a safe space. We're always here. You could go to our website at www.hushnomore.org. You could call us at 1-888-285-2161. You could follow us on all social media platforms. Contact us, message us if you need anything. You need somebody just to talk to, to listen. If you need to come up with a safety plan, if you just need to just bounce some ideas off of somebody, we are here to support you. Because we do believe that it takes a community to be able to protect each other and to raise awareness. So thank you so very much for all that you do. And make sure that you love on somebody, be kind to somebody, encourage somebody. Because it makes a difference. One smile at a time. I smile all the time. Me and Anna always are smiling. And so <laughs> it does make a difference. So thank you, Anna. Check thank you. Check out stalkingawareness.org. Stand Up Resources is amazing. She's an amazing speaker. If you would like her at your organization, please invite her out. See the work that she does because we need speakers and advocates such as her to really make a difference. So peace and blessings to you all tonight. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye.